0: Of you, uh, a lot of you know us. We are Keith and Angie Copley. Uh, some of you that don't, uh, I'll just give you a quick little history. Uh, we met in this parlor right over here, where it smells like yes, last week's food. Um, kind of smells like cleaning materials over there. We met in that parlor 23 years ago. She was wearing a blue dress when she walked in the room, and uh, we've been married for 21 years since then. And I want to, first and foremost, thank you guys. As I uh, sit and think of all that this church has contributed to first raising my wife and then to me, I am just uh, eternally grateful. And I, I will always be, uh, always be thankful for all you guys have done to make us who we are. We met, like I say, 23 years ago. And uh, let me give you a quick intro here. Since that time, we've had four daughters, Lindsay, Lauren, Layla, and Lexi. And uh, we met here 20 years ago, and it's been, uh, it's been an, an incredible journey. About 20-some years ago, we were introduced to a new concept. And that concept is to unreached people groups. And we were introduced to the idea that there are people out there that have yet to hear the story of the good news. The story of the lamb that came for our, for our sin payment. They've yet to hear that. And that eternally changed our lives. And you wonder, how do you you get to where you you go to a country and you live and you serve? Let me just back up and kind of give you you our perspective. I want to look at a couple verses in Revelation. You can turn there. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. There we go. After I saw this, a vast crowd too great to count... For every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes, and they held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a mighty shout, Salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. We are in the midst of celebrating the beginning of, this, of, of the life of our Savior, right? That's what Christmas is all about. But I think that as you look at the world that goes around you and you think about how you're going to order your life and what you're going to make a priority and what you're going to live for and what you're going to save for and what you're going to spend your money on, I think we have to look to the end. To the end of the story to see where we want to put our time and investment. Let's read another verse, Revelation 15. And they were singing... The song of Moses, the servant of God, and the, song of the, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you. For you are righteous. Your deeds have been revealed. You know, when you, start to, when you start off early in your marriage and you start to think, what are we going to live for? What are we going to save for? Where do we want to retire? What, how do we want to play this out? As our destination, the villages, is that how this plays out? Are we going to save all our money and put all our time into, into buying that house on the golf course? And I, I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. But when you read these verses and you realize that's your retirement, that's how you ride into the sunset, is before the throne, worshiping an incredible Savior that was willing to come and to die for us, it changes everything. It changes your perspective. It changes what you want to live for. I want to introduce one word in there real quick that was mentioned. That we, I just want to give some definition to it. It's, it says there that the king of the nations. All nations will come and bow before him. I want to talk a little bit about those, that word nations because we're going to see it all morning. And that word nations means an ethnic group. People that are distinguished by their culture, their language, their family, and their uniqueness. Okay? It's not talking about countries. There are one country may have many nations living within it. It's talking about people that are held together by language and culture. There are about 6,500 nations in this world. About 2,500 of those nations have no portion of God's word in their language. We started to think about how this plays out with every nation, with every nation before the throne. And yet we saw this problem. We were introduced to this problem that there are 2,500 nations that have no portion of God's word in their language. That caused us to change the course of our life. Let's pray. God, you are the one and only that deserves all of our effort, all of our life, all of our song, all of our praise, all of our money, all of our time, all of our effort. You're an incredible God that was willing to come out of your comfort zone for our behalf, on our behalf. And I just pray that we would be willing to do the same for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, tells us that... uh, You know what, can you go back there? This thing's driving me crazy. Tells us, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, tells us that God's plan from the beginning was for Adam... And Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. The reason God designed this earth Is so that it would be filled with people giving him glory We see that that promise was carried on to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses 3 and it says all the families of the earth will be blessed through you This has never been about Leesburg. It has never been about first Baptist Leesburg It's never been about my family my four daughters This has always been about the entire earth giving glory to the one that deserves the glory. And yet, we look at where we are in history, 2,000 years post-Christ, and we say, what is going on? Why haven't we reached that that point where every nation is able to give God the glory he is due? I think we first see our problem in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, and I'm not going to read the whole thing there. But uh, I am going to just point out a couple highlights there. If you remember, that's the Tower of Babel, and man's been told scatter, fill the earth, fill the earth with my with my glory and my worship. And man says, mm, appreciate your opinion, God. Really like that idea. Not going to do it, right? Let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower or a steeple or whatever you want to call it. It reaches to the sky. And this will make us famous and keep us, and keep us from being scattered all over the world. And keep us from being scattered all over the world. When I talk about those nations, they say there's about seven, 6.7 billion people in the world. Okay? When I say there's 2,500 nations that have no portion of God's word in their, in their language, that represents well over two billion people. That's what, about a third of the world that have no portion of God's Word in their language. Let me just you a couple more stat- stats at you here. We have had our Bible in the English language for 700 years. 700 years. According to the American Bible Society, there are are about 900 English translations. If you were to get the catalog that sells those English translations, it's about 800 and some odd pages thick of English translations, opportunities for English speakers to buy whatever version of the Bible you like. And yet we have this 2,500 nations without one word of God's Bible in their language Is the problem found in the root of Genesis chapter 11 where it says we, we want to we don't want to scatter we want to stay right here God this is where we're comfortable even with missionaries did you know that only one out of 30 missionaries work with unreached people groups one out of 30. why is that? because you can't build a mega church with a people group of 90. i have friends they invested 25 years of their life at a team of missionaries 25 years of their life with working with the siawi people group 90 adult speakers but you know what they were completely isolated there was no way for god to hear for them to hear god's word in their language and they felt like it was worth it. And I said, Why? Why did you feel like it? These 90 people out here, nobody else cares. Why? And they said, Keith, it's not about the people. It's about a Savior. It's about a Lamb. It's about a King that deserves the worship from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And I'm standing before you today to say, It's awesome that one day you will meet the, si- the Siawi people around the throne, giving worship to their Savior. All right, let's fast forward a bit to Jesus. Jesus comes, he makes his, he has his death on the cross, and he says, uh, he, he rises again, he says, let's gather up, I want to have you one last little get-together here, we want to talk about one last final thing. And they're like, oh, is it end times? Can you tell us how this is going to, and he's like, no, we're not doing an end-time seminar right now. We're going to talk about the most important thing, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The first word I want to talk about in there is go. We are, that was for all of us. That is for every single one of us. We don't get to pick and choose what parts apply to us and what parts apply to somebody else. That's not an option. The commission is for the church to go, to scatter, to fill the earth. That is our responsibility. Now, how do we go? There are several ways you can get involved. I don't believe that every last person needs to head overseas, but I do believe we all need to be part of that process. And we go by, first and foremost, praying for our missionaries. Without the Holy Spirit going before us, it's hopeless. We go by giving to our missionaries. We go by going and helping our missionaries on short-term mission trips. But you know what? We also need to go as a lifelong commitment. The reality is, is we, we all say, well, Keith, if If I were, if if God were to walk in here and just say, go, I would do it. But let's think of a few examples. Moses, take off your shoes because you are talking to God Almighty. Yes, sir, I'm taking off my shoes. Remember, you are talking to God Almighty. Got it, got it, got it, got it. I want you to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, Can I get my shoes back? Right? Jonah, I want you to go. A specific word from God: I want you to go. He was willing to commit ministerial suicide over going. And then on the boat, he was willing to commit physical suicide over going. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. Ananias, not the good one, not the bad one, not the one that got fried right there. The good one, go. Uh, yeah, you know what? That Saul guy—he's a—he's kind of a bad dude. I don't really—I'm kind of scared. I don't really want to go talk to him. Let's talk about Peter. One of the founding fathers of the church, right? Our forefather. In many ways. Go. Yeah, I know I'm seeing this dream and all. And it's kind of really cool. But, and I believe it's from God. But I'm not going to go to disgusting people. They're gross. They're sick. They're Gentiles. Yeah. The reality is... It's not God's fault there are not enough missionaries. I believe that He has called many of us to go. I believe many have said, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Go. I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. Let's, uh, Angie and I, sorry, sweetie, can you just keep rolling? This thing's only working about half the time. Angie and I, about 20 years ago, just felt like, you know what? This is for us, and we're going to go. We're going to do this. And so God led us to the country of Papua New Guinea. New Guinea is an interesting country, 800 languages. About 300 of those languages have no portion of God's word in their language. And God led us to the Hewa people group. And he allowed us to go there and to study and to learn. And the Hewa people were begging. They had seen missionaries in the neighboring tribe. They'd seen missionaries come to a neighboring nation and seen the radical change that God's word makes on a nation. And they said, we want that change to happen in our location. And so we flew into the Hewa village, uh, about 2,000 people in the middle of the jungle. Uh, Literally no way in or out but via helicopter. We took our family in there and we lived amongst the Hewa people. If you look back at those verses, it says the first thing we're supposed to do is to teach. And in order to teach, I think you have to earn the right to be heard. And so we did that. We spent four years learning the language and culture of the people, learning what they dress, how they dress, what they eat, how they, sh- how they uh, hunt, how they fish, how they build their houses, how they do all those things. But really, the most important thing was we wanted to learn how they believed, what they thought, what scared them, what motivated them, what was important to them, what did they lay at night, in their beds and think about. And so we studied their beliefs, and we found out they're animistic people. Animists believe that there are spirits everywhere controlling everything. And uh, these spirits are, some are good, some are bad, some are evil, some are happy, but they're they're never satisfied with yesterday's offerings. We always have to give a new offering today to keep them appeased, so that those spirits will show mercy on us and take care of our gardens and take care of our wives pregnancies and take care of our children they saw these spirits on a daily basis they interacted with them just like i interact with you to us in america we see the spiritual world as separate we live in the physical world right here there's the spiritual world up here in haywa everything is meshed together The spiritual world and the physical world, they're indistinguishable. There is no line of separation. It's all one. So we began teaching, and we taught them about God and who he is and how he's an incredible Savior that wants a relationship with us. We taught them about how man had stepped away from God and broken that relationship. We told them that God wanted to restore that relationship, and so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt. And we let them know that, you know what? All you have to do to gather, to gain that free gift, is believe. God is not like any other spirit. There is no way you can appease him. He is completely pleased with his son. There is no way you can buy his salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But the story doesn't end there, right? We're not just to evangelize. The church is in love with evangelism. We love to go and spread our seed everywhere and make lots of converts. That was not the commission. The commission was to make disciples. And so we, we spent time with them. One of the first things we did was baptize them. And I always wondered why God threw this in there. Baptizing. Why is this such a big deal? Baptism is not part of your salvation. It's not required for salvation and yet why is this a big deal to God? Baptism is a line in the sand where things really start to click as far as persecution goes. My friend in Yembe the Yembe Nation, he was, he was there. Uh, he he led this gentleman to the Lord, Paul Malakas. Paul became a believer, and his wife said, that's fine, you can go to that church, you can do whatever, I don't care, whatever, you can read God's word, you can study, you can believe, I don't, that, none of that makes a difference. A few months later, he says, hey, listen, I'm gonna get, get baptized. And she said, hold the phone. You're not getting baptized. You were baptized into the church that we go to, the church that covers up our entire nation, okay? And when you get baptized into another church, that means you are dead. And I will therefore treat you as dead You will no longer be my husband. You will no longer be the father of my children You will no longer live in this house And he said well, you know, I just i'm not trying to do this to defy you She's not a believer Obviously i'm not trying to do this to to fight with you or pick a fight But I really feel like god wants me to do this to proclaim His free gift To the tribe right here She says if you do it, I will spear you when you come out of the water Literally, on that day of baptism, Paul went down to the water. His wife comes running down with a giant pig spear. And she says, when you come up, this is waiting for you. Several men wrestled her to the ground. He was baptized. He came out of the water. He survived. He returned to his home to find all his belongings out on the lawn. And for the next several years, he had to earn the right to even come back in the house and live. She wouldn't cook for him. She wouldn't give him any, any attention at all when he first moved back in. But slowly, as time went on, he continued to love her the way Christ loves us, give her grace and mercy. And I'm standing before you today to say three years later, his wife is now a believer. I just talked to the missionary the other day, and the missionary says, man, they're doing so good. Their kids are believers now. She's a believer. He's actually going to be marked as one of the elders in our church very soon. Why is baptism important? Because it's part of the process of bringing a person into maturity and walking them from being an infant in Christ to an adult. Make disciples. One of the things that we had the opportunity to do is to walk with an early church through Acts. And if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that the, people, that the, the, the church gathered daily for teaching, and they, they uh, let me read it there, all the believers devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, and to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, and the Lord's supper, and to prayer, and a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions, shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day and met in homes at the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. One of the key things is sitting there and working with a young church. And they go through struggles, struggles of persecution, struggles of want, struggles of need. My friend in the Akilet Nation, he said, man, right after our... our, uh, first group of believers started gathering, he said, we had a terrible drought go through. And these people live on a small island on a coast, literally days from town. And they just said, man, we're, we're, we're out of food. We got, we've got nothing left. And not only us, it's the whole entire community. And the missionary said, well, I've given you everything I've got. Let's just, let's just continue to pray that God will do something. And they said, you know what? You're right. We see acts and how The early church prayed, and God did miraculous things. And because he did miraculous things, we trust that same God is alive today, living in us, and will take care of us. We're going to pray that God will give us food not only for our church, but for the community around us. After a couple days of prayer, one morning they wake up, and they look out on their reef right in front of their house, and there is a giant ship run aground. It's a ship delivering food to the logging company. And the logging company, the captain of the ship comes on on shore, and he says, hey, listen, the only way we're going to get this ship off your reef is if we unload all the food. We want to give that to you so we can get our ship back. Walking with that early church through the whole process of seeing God be faithful and deliver, walking them through Corinthians and teaching them to live together, these are people that have literally murdered. I don't know a Hewa man above the age of 14 that hasn't been involved in a murder. You can't just give them the gospel and say, well, there you go. Hope you figure it out from there on, and walk away. There are things that you have to work through, societal things, cultural things. This person who has been involved in a murder of another family member now has to sit in the same church and function as brother. And sister, it takes time. It takes time working through that. I'm going to fast forward to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. We look at that early church and we see them and how they functioned. And uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the nations of Judea and Samaria. Verse 4 there says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Guys, the early church caught the vision. They knew that God was so good and deserved so much glory that whenever God scattered them through persecution, they did what? They preached wherever they went. Each individual within the church took the command to go as part of their responsibility. In fact, the only people that got to stay behind were the paid staff, if you read the, if you read the entire chapter. Of course, you get martyred. Pros and cons. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility to make this happen. Not because we have to. Not because we're obligated. Not because even we've been commanded. But because we serve a God. Remember, keep that end perspective. Where are we ending? Where does this all end? We serve a God that demands our worship, our glory around his throne for all that he's done for us. Bow your heads. If you want to be in part of the going process, there are cards in your bulletins this morning, ways you can engage with our ministry. Joe Evans, another missionary with our same organization, gave an update a couple weeks ago. You can get with him, find out ways you can engage with his ministry. If you'd like to join the uh, International Mission Board, man, I would love to see us send a missionary, another missionary from this church. It's been 20 years since we left, I think about 15 years since Joe left. I'd love to see somebody sent soon. It is our responsibility to make this happen. We all have a part to play. What's your part? God, you are the same God of the beginning, the same God of the church and acts. You're the same God of the end that deserves our worship and our glory and our honor, all of our efforts. I pray that our lives will glorify you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.